Okay, so this morning's reading is from the book of John. It's going to be chapter 11, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 through to the end. So either follow along in your own Bible or on the screen behind. This is God's word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to the disciples, let's, let's also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Then she, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Je what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Cephas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest, that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chiefs and priests and the Pharisees have given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that, he, so that they might arrest him. This is God's word. So we'll just pray now before John comes to speak. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, and we pray now for his presence here this morning. Lord, we thank you for this passage in John and how it draws our mind to the real Resurrection Sunday. Lord, that we look forward to celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead, that he conquered sin and death on our behalf. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would anoint John with your spirit, that God, that this passage this morning would, um, would be open to our hearts. Lord, that any sin um, and any disobedience that we are carrying and walking in before you, Lord, I pray that 
Each of us who are called to be your children would just lay that at your feet this morning. Lord, that this would be an encouragement to our hearts and an encouragement for us to live out your great commission. We pray, Lord, and continue to pray for our community around us. We pray now, Father, as we're able to deliver more ministries, Lord, that um, through that ministry that your gospel would be proclaimed. We especially pray for the youth ministry, Lord, and we thank you for the young people of the town who have been drawn to that. We pray for Phil and for Emma as they continue to lead and serve, and Lord, that you would just raise up other leaders from this church to minister to those children. And God, we just thank you once again for our tiny stones and mega and little stones, and pray just now, Lord, that um, in each of their rooms, that God, through their teaching, that they will see your glory. So, Lord, just as Jesus said in this word that he came to glorify you, I pray that your spirit would glorify you in our eyes this morning. And we too pray, sorry, for Jenny. And, Lord, thank you for bringing her safely through surgery. We just pray for David as well and the whole family as um, Jenny looks to recover from this. And we just pray health and strength over Jenny. And, Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steph. Well, how are we this morning? I hope you're all well. Uh, you are a very privileged group of people. You may not feel it, you may not know it, but you are. In the first service this morning, there was a whole hanlon. A whole hanlon. Because I gave the wrong reading to the people, the good people who organized it. And, and so we read the whole of chapter 12. Uh, and I am speaking from chapter 11. You might see that how, how that might be a little problematic, but you got the good deal. You got the actual chapter that we're reading or we're, we're, we're looking at today. So that's good. That's why I say you're a privileged bunch of people. Right, John chapter 11. Everyone loves a good comeback story, yes? Everyone loves a good comeback, right? This week, there was a good comeback. Uh, Wednesday night, I think it was, Theatre of Dreams, Man United, 2-0 down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it will go in the recording, I'm determined. Uh, Theatre of Dreams, Wednesday night, 2-0 down, half-time, Champions League game, come back to win 3-2 with a Ronaldo winner. Hard to beat it, hard to beat it. Everybody loves a good comeback. Who is familiar with the, the Rocky films? Everyone is familiar with the Rocky films, surely. Uh, you know the crack. Apollo Creed, Badern Rocky. Rocky comes back, wins. Unreal, comeback story. What we're looking at today is one of the Bible's greatest comeback stories. Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is Jesus' seventh sign or wonder. Possibly his most spectacular to date, as we've looked through the Gospel of John. And I've split this down into three sections for us today, just so that we can be clear of what's going on. And the first section is this. Jesus, as we, as we look at this story of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, the first thing is this that we come across, and it's very clear. Jesus always loves. Always. Jesus always loves. The chapter opens with the announcement that Lazarus is sick. And we're given a little glimpse into something that will occur in chapter 12. Uh, Lazarus lives with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. 
And there's a beautiful story at the beginning of chapter 12, which we'll come to next week, uh, that just demonstrates uh, the love that, that, that Jesus uh, has for this family and that this family has for Jesus. Their home is in Bethany, which is very near to Jerusalem, within walking distance of Jerusalem, a couple of miles. Uh, and if you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you may remember the story in Luke 10 where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, while Martha is going around uh, in, a flurry, in a flurry, in a hurry, trying to get stuff done. And she's quite uh, critical of Mary. And why is Mary not doing what she's doing? And, and, and you maybe remember that story. But this, this account here where Lazarus dies is possibly two years from that story. And so two years have elapsed. Jesus has gotten to know this family. They have gotten to know him. They've, they, they, they love each other. This is, the house is actually possibly where Jesus stayed when he spent time in Jerusalem. These are really well-acquainted, much-loved people. And this news comes to Jesus. The one that you love is sick. The one that you love is sick. Speaking about Lazarus. Verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The one you love is sick. Some of you are very familiar with those words. Some of you maybe even have heard those words this week. But inevitably throughout our lives, we will hear those words. The one you love is sick. And I want to pause just here before we really get into the text and, and make a, an obvious point. And the obvious point is this. Jesus knows that feeling. Jesus knows the feeling of being approached by friends and hearing those words, those, that heart-stopping moment when you hear that a person who you love dearly is sick. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Jesus, there is nothing happens in your life, even this, even a simple small detail like someone coming and telling you that, that one of your loved ones, one of your dear friends is sick, not even some, something as small as that, that Jesus has not faced and that Jesus does not know what it feels like. He knows exactly what it's like. Then in verse 5 and 6, as we go through the passage, there's something really unusual happens. This, this news reaches Jesus. The one you love is sick. And when he hears that Lazarus is sick, he hears that. How, we, how he hears that, we don't know exactly. When he hears it, what does he do? He stays an extra two days where he is. He stays on. There's a little Greek word in the text here, and it, say, and it means therefore. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Therefore, he stays another two days. That's confusing. That is really confusing. Because what do you do if you know that someone is sick, who you love, who, who you, as, as a dear friend or family member, what do you do when you find out that they're sick? You go. You go. 
You call, you, you, in, our, in our day, you text, you do whatever you can do to, to reach out to them, but you probably go to see them. Jesus doesn't do that. It says, Lazarus, he finds out Lazarus is sick, therefore he stays another two days. It's a definite, like, intentional, therefore he stays. It doesn't make sense. One traditional sort of superstition that the, the Jews had that they've tried to explain why, this, why Jesus stayed the extra two days was that there was a superstition around that the soul or the spirit didn't leave the body for three days. And so what they're trying to say here is that, that Jesus knew that and that he would go then uh, and, and heal him. But the only problem is with that is that it's a superstition. It's not true. Jesus knows it's not true. When someone passes, they, they immediately, their soul, their spirit, immediately, if they're a follower of Christ, goes into the presence of Christ. And if they're not a follower of Christ, goes immediately to hell. That's what we believe. That's Orthodox Christianity. It was superstition. That's not the real reason why he stays. Why wait two days? Why wait two days? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. He says, but for the glory of God. But for the glory of God. You see, the love that Jesus has for us, and this is hard for us to hear at times, but the love that Jesus has for us is, for us is sometimes a testing love. He's going to test the love of Mary and Martha and the disciples to a certain extent by staying on these extra two days. But ultimately, this is for what purpose? The glory of God. Jesus says it himself. This incident, this episode, Lazarus dying, is for the glory of God. That is the most ultimate thing in the universe, the glory of God. I often quote it, Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to what? Glorify God. It is the most ultimate thing in the universe to glorify God. And Jesus is saying here, I'm going to stay here because me staying here and going down later is the thing that will most glorify God. Folks, what if... What if in all our suffering... In all our trials, in which there will be many, let's just face it and let's be honest, you will face suffering if you haven't already faced it. You will face trials if you haven't already faced them. You may be in that moment right now. What if in that we were to genuinely believe that all of it, God was working for his glory? Would that change our perspective? I, I really do think it would. And that's why it's, it's really hard for us as human beings to get there all the time. It's really hard for us to understand that all the time. But what if we were to think the glory of God must be bound up in this in some way? In the first service, Davy Smith was here. And I'm, I'm, and I'm standing here. And I, I get to know, I'm in a very privileged position that I get to know what's going on in the lives of people. That I stand up here on a Sunday morning and I get to know what's going on in the lives of people and so I can look into the lives of people. And I, I, but it's difficult for me to say that, that all of these circumstances are for the glory of God. So when I look at Davy Smith this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how can you see right now? 
How can you see right now that the glory of God is bound up in, in Jenny being in the royal? For the Watsons, who many of you will have known who have received news this week of a little Adam. How on earth can we, can we look at that and see that God is doing something to be glorified? But here's the thing. He is. In every circumstance, in every trial, in every suffering, God is working for his glory. And we must believe that. And we must know Jesus is doing it because he loves us. Because he loves us. And that brings me on to the second thing that we see clearly in this text today. And it's this. Jesus, so the first one is Jesus always loves. The second one is this. Jesus always has better in mind. Always. Jesus always has better in mind. Verse 14, after he said this, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He says this to the disciples. Another crazy thing to say, right? Stay with, so Jesus has just done one crazy thing that we don't quite understand. Why is, he, why is he staying another two days? It's for the glory of God. That's brilliant. But then he says this. I am glad. I was glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. He says this to the disciples. So first of all, he said, he said in all two days, and that's a bit strange, but we get that for the glory of God. But then he says this to the disciples. He says, I'm, I was glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Now, again, we can slightly understand that because sometimes, you know, when someone passes, you, you don't want to be there. But if, but if you love someone, if you care for someone, you want to be there, right? You'll do whatever you can to be there. You would expect Jesus in this instance to be like, you know, lads, I, I really wish I had been there. I would love to have been there just to be there for the family, to put my arms around Mary and Martha, to comfort them, to, to show them that I care about them. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. And if you go back a little bit in verse 7, he says, let's go to Judea again. After he's waited two days, the disciples are horrified probably because they know that, that, that if they go back to where they're going to go, they're going to get killed. That's really the reality. They know this. They've just left because they were going to get stoned and not in a highway, in a literal stoning sense. Uh, they're they're going to get stoned. They're going to die. The disciples know this. And Jesus says, let's go back. And then he says, are there not tw they're, they're questioning this. And then Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the daylight? In other words, my destiny is in God's hands. If they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. That's the way it's got to be. And then in verse 16, something again strange happens. Thomas, the disciple. Now, how do we know Thomas. What's the first thing that comes into your head when you think of Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? And Thomas gets a bad reputation, right? He gets a bad reputation for being the one that doubts that Jesus is Jesus and that Jesus has risen from the dead. He gets a bad rep. But look at what Thomas says in verse 16. Let's go with him that we may die with him. Let's go that we may die with him. Now, he's not talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus. 
So I want to sort of redeem Thomas in some sense this morning. Uh, and literally in the first service I said, I got, I got a wee bit mixed up, as I do sometimes, I do. Uh, and I got a wee mixed up, mixed up and said, don't, you know, we shouldn't all the time believe what the Bible says and then I caught myself on. I was like, you'll never hear that again from me. That's the first time you ever. What I meant was we shouldn't just believe everything that we hear about tradition. So we, we just know doubting Thomas, that's all there is to him. He's just a doubter. Not so. Thomas was a brave, brave individual who wanted to go back to Jerusalem so that he may die with Jesus. What he's saying is, let's go back. If we're going out, we're going out in a place of glory here, lads. We might as well go with him. Let's go. Tradition has it that Thomas uh, went all the way to India with the gospel. Uh, and apparently there's a little place just outside the airport in Madras. Uh, to this day, you can go there and you can see Thomas's grave. Thomas died a martyr's death uh, by being pierced through the side, just like a savior. So when we hear about Thomas and doubting Thomas, let's not just be quick to jump and judge these guys. They were brave individuals who, filled with the Holy Spirit, took the gospel to places that they could never dream of and end up giving their lives for the sake of Christ. So Thomas says, let's go. Let's go back. And they do. And the scene that meets them is one of uh, sadness, to say the least. Lazarus has been dead for four days. The folks have come out from Jerusalem, some of them, no doubt, professional mourners. Uh, and, and we think that professional mourners were a thing of the past, right? We, we think that there, there was these things so you pay for people to come out and they would weep and they would wail and they would be at the, at the, at the wake and they would be at the funeral. Trust me, this still goes on in our friend. There are people. There are people, no matter what wake there is or what funeral there is, they'll be there. Right? And they don't even get paid. They seem to enjoy it. I don't know what the crack is with that, but they'll go there, they'll be at the wake. They'll... Do you know the man? No, not at all. Well, it's the free sandwiches and the tea. I'm not sure. Probably, probably they could tell you their order of wakes, which is better ones, but, but this still happens. But they, they, what happens here is that through all of this, it is just an immensely sad occasion. Martha meets Jesus. Look at what she says to him. It's heartbreaking. If you had been here, you imagine the pain that this girl is going through. If you had been here, Jesus, he would not have died. Why didn't you come? Where have you been? And it's true that she goes on to say something like, even now you could do something, and, and she has that faith. But is she really thinking that Jesus could raise the dead? Perhaps just for a, for a moment she allowed herself to think that. And then Jesus engages her in conversation and he says, your brother will rise. And then, interestingly, she says, Jesus says, your brother will rise. And what does she do, like we do? She goes into this theological debate about the resurrection. Like Jesus just told her, your, your brother's going to rise. And then she goes off, I know there'll be a resurrection. And, and, and you, can, you can understand it. Slightly. It'd be easy to conclude here that this is just a quite astonishing 
set of circumstances. Jesus engages with her and draws out this, just this wonderful confession in verse 27. It says, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And then you, there's words that you'll all be familiar with. If you've been to a funeral at all, you will be familiar with these words. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who, who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And that usually goes along with, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Just an incredibly sad scene. So what did Jesus mean when he said to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there? Well, what he meant was this. What he meant was this. He meant, I'm glad I wasn't there because this will give me an opportunity to speak to Mary and Martha and all the disciples and show them about ultimate issues. You see, even in all of this, even in the delay in coming to Bethany, even in Jesus sort of fluffing around a wee bit and speaking sort of in terms that nobody understands, Jesus has always, always what is better in mind for his followers always. I, I can almost guarantee that Mary and Martha, in the three days after Lazarus dies and he's in the tomb, the, the questions come, why did Jesus not come? Does he not care? Does he not, does he not want what's good for us? Why did he not come and heal our brother? Why, 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 why? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Joni Erickson Tata, a girl who was paralyzed in her youth from a diving accident. And this is Joni's favorite verse. Right? Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Right? And that makes perfect sense. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. For Joni Erickson Tata, you can understand that. She will get a new resurrection body. She will be able to run and swim and dive and do all the things that she, she can't possibly do. And so you know, you, it's easy to, understand, easy to understand why that would be her favorite verse. But the only thing is, the verse doesn't stop there. The verse doesn't stop with, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. No, it goes on. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That's your favorite verse. In the fellowship of sharing in her sufferings. Joni knows that it is in her sufferings is where she finds Jesus. It's in the trials and the tribulation of life where we find Jesus more often than not. And he knows that. When we suffer, when we face trials, we find Christ. We find Christ. Again, what if we looked at our lives like this? What if we looked at the way that God has sovereignly uh, ordained our lives to happen and the sufferings that we go through and the trials that we go through are part of that for our good. For our good. Jesus always loves. And Jesus always has better in mind. 
always. And it's not always easy for us to trust that. But it's true. The third thing we see from today's text is this. First one is Jesus always loves. Second one, Jesus always has better in mind. And the third one is this. Jesus deeply cares. Jesus deeply cares. So far, what we've, what we've witnessed in this text is Jesus delayed going to the, to the home. We could read that as heartless and, and, and cold almost. But we know it's not. We know it was for the glory of God. We've witnessed him say to the disciples, it's better that I wasn't there for your sake. Why was that? Because he wanted to talk to them about better things and show them better things. But, but out of those two things, we could very easily read that it's cold, it's distant, it's disengaged. But let me read to you from verse 33. When, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary he's talking about. Mary has now made her way out of the house uh, with all these professional mourners. When Jesus sees Mary weeping, and the Jews who came out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. 38, Jesus therefore again being deeply moved within him. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. The Son of God incarnate, the creator and sustainer of the universe, shed tears. He cried because of the pain of two of his sisters. There is something about death, something about the separation that it causes, something about the the darkness that it brings, that, that, that almost angers Jesus and brings him to tears. And then he asks the question, where have you led him? Where have you led him? We realize here that, that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Uh, decomposition has started to take place. I don't read the King James much, but I do like the way the King James puts it. Uh, Behold, he stinketh. King James, cutting to the core. Love it. Love a wee bit of direct speech now and again. It's just the way it is. Behold, he stinketh. What are they trying to get across here that as four days have passed? Well, we're very fortunate in Cornerstone. We have a few doctors knocking about. Uh, and what this is saying is this. This isn't just another resource in any. This is not uh, someone doing CPR and getting someone back to life. We know that happens on a regular basis when someone in and out, in and out, and they're brought back. And that, that's, but this is not what this is. His brain has shut down. His body is decomposing. He's gone. He's gone. And Jesus lifts up a prayer to the Father in heaven and then makes this glorious, glorious call. Lazarus, come forth. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to stand there at the tomb 
Can you imagine you, you're broken hearted because your brother has died? The disciples are broken hearted because their friend has died. And Jesus makes this call, Lazarus, come forth. And I love the way Matthew, Matthew Henry puts it like this. He explains why he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth, every dead body in all the tombs on the planet would have got up, rose, and walked out. So he makes it clear who he wants. Lazarus, come forth. And what does he do? He obeys. He obeys. Folks, we don't have categories for this. As human beings, we don't have categories to process this. Uh, of all the great claims and all the great wonders and all the, all the great miracles in the world that, that other religious leaders uh, make, they don't make this claim. They don't make the claim to raise the dead. And Jesus being Jesus says, Did I not tell you you would see the glory of God? Here he is, standing as king over all, standing as Lord before the tomb, standing as the only one who can defeat death. It's almost as if he's defying death. By, by It's a foreshadowing of what is to come in himself. And a foreshadowing of what will happen in the end when all the dead are raised and come forth. But what we see in this more clearly than ever because this is what I want to get across because the first two sections it's very easy to misunderstand and think that Jesus is being cold and distant and, and removed but what we see is this Jesus has compassion on this family more than anything he loves them deeply they are hurting and he cares and I want to say this if you are hurting you are not alone you are not alone. Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. John 11, verse 3, we say, the one you love is sick. In verse 5, we see that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Verse 36, Jesus weeps openly. And I remind you again of that verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.15, that Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. He knows our weakness and he sympathizes with us. He loves, he shows compassion. He deeply, deeply cares. To finish today, Jesus always loves. Jesus always has better in mind. And Jesus deeply cares. But we started off by saying that this was a great comeback story, and it was. It is. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Can you imagine the scenes of joy and, 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 and happiness when, it's, when he's reunited with his sisters and the disciples, and, and they're all together? But here's the thing. It is not the greatest comeback story in Scriptures, because the greatest comeback story in Scriptures is Christ himself raised from the dead. Lazarus would die again. Lazarus would die again. There would become a time in his natural life where he would pass from this earth and he would die. Christ, when Christ was raised from the dead, he will never die again. And he has defeated death for us. That is the greatest comeback story of all time. Jesus defeating death on our behalf. 
for you and for me. Folks, he loves you. He loves you. He always has your best at heart. And he cares deeply. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the love that you show us. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us in Christ. Father, we thank you for stories like this that show us that he loves deeply, cares deeply, and always, always, always has our best at heart. Father, I pray for any dear brother or sister in here today who is facing trials at the moment, who can't see these things. And we've all been there. Father, I pray that through the power of the Spirit that you would encourage them today. Encourage them in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we respond to the fact that that Jesus cares, loves uh, us by having communion together and worshipping. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, what we're doing is remembering Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the good news of the gospel to one another. In, in communion. And so if you're a follower of Christ, what I encourage you to do is, as Scripture tells us, examine yourself. And what that means is, is look just inside yourself and see if there's sin and see if there's anything that you haven't repented of, uh, that you need to repent of, turn to Jesus in faith, and then take communion. If you're not a follower of Christ, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion with us this morning. You're proclaiming something that you don't believe in the elements of, of bread representing Christ's body, the, the element of uh, juice representing Christ's blood mean nothing to you. And I, and I, I don't say that in a, in a but they just don't. And so please don't uh, have communion with us this morning. But let's worship and have communion together.